0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR.
1: Welcome to The Limits, I'm Jay Williams. We are in replay mode this week on my show, so I'm bringing back one of my all-time favorites, the one and only Bimballer. I mean, he was a former hip hop executive and Dr. Dre protege who heard Jay-Z's first demo and thought Jay-Z actually wasn't a star, believe that. He's now a drawer to the legends past and the present, including everybody from Mariah Carey to even Michael Jackson. And he's also a dad who like me, strives to be present for his kids each and every day. We'll be back with new episodes soon, but for now, here's my man, Ben Baller. Welcome to The Limits, I'm Jay Williams. I know a thing or two about reinvention. That moment when your plan comes to a screeching halt and bam, everything changes and you're faced with the decision. Do I stay stuck or do I change along with it? My guest today wrote that blueprint. Ben Baller has reinvented himself not once, not twice, not three times. He's done it four times. When Ben hits a dead end, he doesn't just turn around. He gets out of his red Ferrari, puts it up for sale, and keeps it moving. What hasn't been done? He's played football, basketball, worked on films in Hollywood. He's been a hip-hop DJ, worked with Jay-Z, Dr. Dre, and Missy Elliott. And when that didn't work out, so what? He became a jewelry artist for the gods. You know him as the person who has iced up the industry's legends. He's made custom diamond pieces for everyone in the game, including Tyler, the creator, little Uzi Burt, Drake, even the legend himself, Michael Jackson. In 2021, Kid Cudi walked the Met Gala red carpet wearing one of Ben's most ambitious pieces yet, a diamond-encrusted cause-inspired astronaut on a diamond-encrusted chain. It was worth over a million dollars. Now, Ben's an icon. Long story short, A lot of times, things didn't work out for him, but when the gamble didn't pay off, reinvention sure as hell did. Here's my conversation with Ben Baller. What's up, big boy? Yo, what's good, my boy? What's up, Jay? Man, I'm tired. I had a long day, you know, getting up every day at 2.45 in the morning, but I got to tell you something that's crazy. I was listening to a podcast that you and your sister did a while ago. And first off, I didn't know you come from a family of bosses like this. I mean, watching the dynamics between you and her relationship, it's crazy. But you guys started talking about hustle and um, you're like, yo, look, if if we don't have it, we'll find a way to get it done. So I guess coming into this pod, I got really no excuse about being tired. This is all part of the hustle, right?
2: I mean, bro, it's really crazy. I think about, uh, I've never done a podcast with my sister before, right? You know, she was the middle child. She was treated like a middle child. (laughs) But my mom is the one who taught me how to be a hustler. My mom, strong woman, came here with 20 bucks. You know, like she had really just a, a life like, if my odds were to go, okay, let me go back to, you know, not when she was born, but let me just go back to like 1964 and then her coming to America. And then let me think of like, you know, I don't know, a rough time, either pick Detroit, East St. Louis, Compton or something. And being in the hood, like it just—I'll take my mom. I'll take—I'll take their life before I take my mom's life. You know, she had a, a her struggle was crazy. So when I think about her, hundred eighteen hour weeks sewing dresses. Um, true story. No, no, not even exaggeration at any bit. Um, my mom was robbed last week. She's eighty year old old Korean woman robbed by five dudes, and she's still resilient. My mom's like, ah, you know, whatever it is, what it is, and you know, just like Nipsey said, the marathon, you know, must continue. Right? It, it just it goes on
1: so wow i first and foremost hope your mom is okay but i wanted to dig into something that your mom taught you about hustle because man you've hustled for such a long damn time you went from a college athlete to working in hollywood as a record producer so tell me how does a korean kid from nowhere end up working with dr dre in la how did that even go down
2: to tell you the truth I was a nobody. I was being a PA. I got a degree in cinematography, but I'm trying to be an assistant. Just trying to do whatever I can to get into business. Um, there's a funny movie called A Night at the Roxbury. Of course. It's based on the world famous Roxbury Nightclub. It's, it's I mean, there's a little bit of truth to it. The crazy guy, that Chaz Palminteri, that was playing, that guy's name is Eli Samaha in real life. I became friends with him. We Somehow he liked me. His wife was Tia Carrera. I ended up being her personal assistant. I told him my DJ, he like he, he's Lebanese and like speaks in Arabic, would cuss on me. Like anything I did, like, yeah, yeah, shut shut up. Shut up, Chinese boy. You don't know what you're talking about. And to tell you the truth, I never took offense by this was a different time and you know, during that time. One day, the DJ at the Roxbury does not show up. No joke, he was smoking oh he was smoking crack. I happened to live five minutes from the nightclub, and I had my record. I said, Ellie, please, I, I beg you. I promise you I'm going to be okay. I go DJ. I end up being the, the, the alternate DJ after that. On Thursday nights, a hot night. Like, you know, you got everyone from the Wayans Brothers to Sylvester Stallone to all these celebrities. Yeah. And I end up trying to figure out where I can get more gigs. So my boy, who his dad's like my godfather, he's one of the people I always try to buy the Lakers back in the day. He said, hey, I'm, I'm partners on a restaurant. I'm a small partner. I could just only tell you this. Um, Norm Nixon, Debbie Allen, this guy named Brad Johnson, who's a very very famous black socialite, and Denzel Washington owned this new spot. I have a small piece of it. Me and Jack Nicholson are coming in as partners. If you want, you can try to see if you can get a job there as a DJ, blah, blah, whatever. So I'm outside every day while they're making this restaurant. And um, there's uh, Spike Lee's, uh, uh, he has a place called 40 Acres and a Mule. And he has this little, Spike Lee has this little uh, uh, merch shop Across the street, so I'm outside waiting, just trying to see. Hopefully, one day I see Denzel, or if I see Debbie or see Norm Nixon, whatever. I hit the trifecta. I meet Denzel, we chatted up, boom. I wouldn't leave him alone. I know he likes hip hop.
1: Wait, just walked straight up to Denzel Washington on the street.
2: Hundred percent has his Porsche outside. I was like, yo, I walk right up to him. I was like, hey man, look, hey, check it out. I heard you got a restaurant. I'm trying to, you know. He's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, he thought I was trying to audition for a movie or something, (laughs) you know. And um, he just finished Malcolm X, so you know this dude's like the biggest actor in the world. So, gives me a chance, a girl calls me, I end up getting the job. It wasn't even an audition, I end up getting the job. Working at this one place called Creek Alley, one of the most legendary Jamaican restaurant, bar, nightclub, upscale. I met everyone you could think of there. Tupac, Dre, everyone. I I DJed the Black Oscar party two years in a row. I DJed the Black Grammy party two years in a row. Met Quincy Jones, met all these people, and they loved me. Wow. One night, me and Dr. Dre chopped it up. He f***ed with my vibe so heavy. He gave, you know, I, I gave him my pager number. He paged me. I started going to Death Row Records. Boom, here and there. He ended up helping me get a job at Priority Records. Priority is how I kind of slowly, not necessarily, because this is way before Rich Klyman and me met, met, but like, you know, this 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 album came on my desk, and I'm now vice president of a r there, and it was Jay-Z's first album, Reasonable Doubt. Had not been signed. No one heard of it. And so we signed Jay-Z.
1: Well, what'd you think about it when you first heard it?
2: I thought it was amazing. I thought it was amazing. The only thing was, I didn't think that Jay was a star. And I told him this at the 20th anniversary of Reasonable Doubt, that Jay and Biggs asked me to be the host. Like, yo, you were the a r You got to be the host of the thing for LA. So <sighs>
1: just hearing you say, I didn't think Jay-Z was going to be a star. That's wild.
2: Ready for this? I said it and Biggs admitted too because me and Biggs are boys by the way you always remind me of Biggs because you guys look similar why does
1: everybody always say that people (laughs) stop me on the street be like yo Biggs I'm like yo I'm not Biggs bro I'm Jay Williams do we look that much alike
2: y'all look y'all look similar man a lot I gotta meet him I gotta meet him so Biggs tells me he's like yo I didn't think so either I pulled Jay to the side I'm like yo my 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 guy I don't mean to say this to be biased because this is the only record on priority this was my favorite album fam on God on everything he's like yo me too me too real talk so, like, Reasonable Doubt was, like, you know, that was, like, one of my big things. But, you know, I worked on Friday, the movie. We did a lot of stuff, yeah. Master P, stuff. But I just signed a max contract as an A&R. You know, you have contracts there, employee contracts. You have an attorney, yep. boom. I just signed a max contract. My attorney's name is Peter Paterno. He's still Dr. Dre's attorney to this day. And my boss, Brian Turner, if you watch the NWA movie, it's a real story. Brian Turner's like, yo, we're at to to do some big things. I have a girls' R&B project. I'm trying to work with Tupac. I have Faith Evans developing this group. I'm working with Missy Elliott. Missy Elliott's not even signed yet. Missy is not even signed at all yet. And I saw the vision of Missy. Missy ended up being iconic, right? Dr. Dre hits me up. He goes, yo, I'm about to start Black Market Records. That was the name he had. Couldn't get it. He said, "Uh, you know how I get down? Yes or no? Ain't no let me think about it, blah, blah, whatever. And I'm sitting like... Yo, I just—I got an office in the corner. I got an assistant. I got a budget. I have a, I have an expense account. I have all this stuff. I have everything I've ever wanted. And I'm like, I'm coming with you, Dre. That's it. How do I tell my boss? Wow. And so I tell him. Anyways, yeah, you know, end up going to Dre, uh, to Aftermath, and um, you know, that was uh where I ended my music career. And uh, I don't think we, we we bumped heads a lot.
1: I was going to ask you, Ben, why why did that end, right? Because obviously you went on from there, you've done a lot more incredible things, but it seems like that trajectory had you on a different stratosphere. Like what made that come to a stop? Good question. Thank you. I do this for a living.
2: (laughs) The business side was so shady that I hated seeing these dudes from the hood, whether it be South Central, Compton, Detroit, wherever, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, their attorneys were letting them sign deals that were signing their likeliness, their their namesake, their publishing and everything away. So meanwhile, you know, I'm pulling off an Alexis, BMW, SUV, I got a Rolex, whatever. These dudes have sold some albums, but they don't own any of their masters, they don't own any publishing, they don't own nothing. And that was common, that was common trade, you know. And that was when we were selling music, so like people were making some money back then, real money, you yeah. know, Diddy and everybody. So, at a certain point, I couldn't see my homies put their checks into jewelry, cars, and have no investment in anything else, not trying to get the publishing or anything. And it, it wasn't until now. Think about it. This is twenty five, you know, years later. That people are understanding the power of owning your own masters, owning at least owning, you know, or getting a publishing deal. Mm-hmm. And perfect example was when I finally left. True story. I've actually never talked about this before. Hitman from my high school from from Fairfax from my high school. He wrote almost seventy percent of one of the highest selling hip hop albums ever in history, Doctor Dre, two thousand one. He was on the album on almost every song. Hitman is the only person on that album that has a solo song. He's the only one, act right. When he wrote Explosive, Explosive, West Coast shit, my brother said, and he, that's, that's Hitman, right? He signed such a bad publishing deal mm. that to this day, Hitman works like a regular nine to five. Like, had he signed even a decent publishing deal, like a decent one, just get some points, I don't think he'd, he could live his, a decent lifestyle and never work ever again in his life. You know, he would have made at least, oh, maybe made like maybe 13, 14, 15 million dollars. But like, you know, he signed a really bad deal. I don't mean to put anything bad against Dre or anything. It was a business, but like, I was like, yo, man, like, how are you letting these dudes like not eat? Like, it's not like you can't still get rich and they can still eat. Like I may mean, eat, I mean like I'm talking to everyone eat Wagyu. You know, it's, it's not right. So it just put such a bad taste in my mouth. Real talk, Jay, that that I I, I didn't want to be in music anymore.
1: Ben, how did you even or did you try to talk to Dre about that, right? Because that's one of the challenges I always see, especially when you deal with people of power that put you on, right? And you could tell their sensitivities to all these relationships because everybody comes from different places and they deal with conflict differently. So did you address him about it or was it something where you just kind of bow down and say, you know what, I'm done?
2: So ready for this? And I don't want this. Sound, I don't. I don't want this to be clickbait or nothing like that. No,
1: I just want to hear the realness from you.
2: He, he he knew I was gonna come with that, right? And I started being loud, and I've always been a loud person. And he fired me, so he let me go. That was it. I couldn't even get a hold of him, and I was like, like my, my studio card was was revoked the whole night. Like you see, Jamal Adams trying to get back into the Jets <laughs> thing. I was like, doo, doo, doo. <laughs> <laughs> the hell's going on here? And um, I was like, yo, this is crazy. And I was mad at him for a while. You know, I hated it, whatever. I was pissed and here and there, whatever. And I was like, Yo, man, like, look, I'm going to figure something out. I'm, I'm, I'm resilient. I'm going to pivot and do something. So thank God, you know, I was smart and I collected sneakers um, on, a, on, a, on a serious level. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I ended, up, I ended up figuring it out. You know, eventually it led me to jewelry, which was cool.
1: Okay, look, I know what you're thinking. What the hell does selling sneakers have to do with designing million-dollar necklaces? I keep trying to tell you, Ben Baller is a master of reinvention. After the break, Ben once again rolls the dice and lands a job designing for the Mariah Carey. And make sure you subscribe to NPR Plus for bonus content dropping this Thursday. In that episode, Ben gives easy-to-follow advice for getting into one of our biggest share passions, cryptocurrency. This is The Limits from NPR. I'm Jay Williams.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from NPR sponsor Allianz Travel Insurance. International travel can be life-changing. But an unexpected emergency can make your trip memorable for all the wrong reasons. Allianz Travel Insurance provides benefits for medical emergencies, trip cancellations, travel delays, and more. Get a quote at AllianzTravelInsurance.com.
3: This message comes from the Kresge Foundation. Established 100 years ago, the Kresge Foundation works to expand equity and opportunity in cities across America. A century of impact, a future of opportunity. More at kresge.org.
0: This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me. And I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, so Ben Baller... Obviously is balling out, gets let go by Dr. Dre, trying to find out what he wants to do next. Been hurt, you've been called the sneaker pimp because you were in the sneaker game before people even recognize what the sneaker game is. Now that's a multi-million dollar, billion dollar business, billion. actually. Billion, billion with the B, multiple billions. And then you transition to jewelry. So tell me what the transition plan was into transitioning to jewelry. How did you optimize and monetize that?
2: So I started figuring out that my credit was bad. I couldn't buy a home then, even though that was the time when you could get a house with, you could say, oh, I make $17 million a year. No one's checking tax returns, nothing. It was a different time then, okay? I was able to finesse a condo.
1: Ben, what what does finesse mean?
2: I was able to get a condo under my name. Well, (laughs) under a name, under a corporation and just, you know, so it was like something to fall back on legally. Okay. And, um, I had started like a small little exotic car rental business. It was completely not legal. It was like I was renting a car out that A couple cars I owned and was like charging people. And people were like, yo, you want to use it for video? Cool, boom, here and there. Just to generate passive income. I was uh, engaged to get married for the first time in my life. It didn't work out. I became like a video thought. I was inside like I was in like a lot of music videos back in the day because I was kind of popular in L.A. and stuff. People knew when they came to L.A. to chat in with me. So... I sold my sneaker collection on eBay in 2004, spring, um, for just under $2.9 million. Wow. When that money came, I officially became a millionaire, right? I had been broke three times before before age 30. I was 31 at that time. So
1: what you've been collecting shoes for that long that you sold that you got 2.9 million off eBay from it.
2: I was also doing a lot of marketing for Nike. So I was working with Nike for a lot of things. So I knew that I had shoes like just, I had a lot of shoes that were 10, 15, 20 Gs. But you got to remember too, Jay, I'm talking about like, you know, if you ever see what a hundred pairs of shoes looks like, it's a lot, you know, even when yeah. you get, when you get to the 500 mark, you start to realize, damn, that's, that's a lot of shoes. I had 2000 personal pairs of shoes. I had three full bedrooms completely covered, held head to, you know, from ceiling to floor, so, you know, when I got rid of my shit, it was a big deal in the sneaker community. All through Nike Talk, it was the talk of the entire community. Complex, you name it. And they were just starting out. People all knew what time it was. That auction hit, I mean, it was as viral as it could be for, for, the, for the, you know, the platforms that we had. Wow. Um, at that point, I was always shrewd with money. I knew how to make money. I just wasn't really good with money. And one thing that Dre did tell me, he was the first person to ever say this to me, it was like a 96. He said, making a million dollars is not that hard. Keeping it is harder than a month. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, mm-hmm. whoa, it's crazy. What well, it was the first thing I did? The the day, the second, the, the 30 minutes after the check cleared, I drove to Beverly Hills Ferrari. Got a Ferrari. Went back to my hood. Went to go see my people. Like, yo, you got to get one of these. Yo, I did it. Yo, fuck a whoop. I traveled. Uh, I, I, I traveled and tried to find myself. I said, you know what? before i do anything i need to find who i am i need to get some culture i want to see how the other world lives i went to brazil i went to europe all through europe i went to asia i just went everywhere with my passport i said man look man i got a thousand pairs of sneakers i ain't even been a thousand miles away from home like i've been in new york and stuff but i'm talking about like really you know like yes check it out so i did that came back and i'm thinking look i need to start some sort of business now I don't want to just start a business like a, a coffee shop or like a restaurant or like a, a, a retail store. I need to start a business where my inventory is part of my net worth. Or like, you know what I'm saying? Like my inventory is, is my, you know, thing. And my cousin was a jeweler. My uncle's a jeweler. He taught his son how to be a jeweler. And we just lightly discussed it. There's a lot that went in between that, but I'm just trying to, trying to keep it short. And so, you know, I ended up becoming a jeweler with, with no trade skills or anything. And I just like shiny things. A few years after things started getting big, like people started coming to me and I started making a lot of big jewelry pieces. I was like, I don't want to be a jewelry salesman anymore. You know, none of us have jewelry degrees, GIA degrees. I have like five employees now who have GA degrees, but like I'll work circles around any person. Like, could you imagine? Like, there might be someone like Kobe. He didn't go to college, right? But imagine like what he did in the game, right? He understood the game, yeah. he just did. He didn't so like in a way, diamonds are the same. So you know, uh, I started taking classes. I couldn't believe that a local night school, LACC, which is like in a terrible neighborhood, like they had night classes for jewelry. So I started learning that. I started learning from my uncle. And, you know, sooner than later, I realized how, how much of a, you know, a person, how, how, I'm a perfectionist. I love, I have attention to detail, you know, and everything. So I started crafting pieces and I started realizing, look, the most important thing that I could have ever done was trademark Ben Baller and turn this into a global brand, right? Did you do that right from the bat? No. Right from the start? No. I had to get my accountant. had to set that all up later and thank God I had logos. I became, you know, people started seeing the logos and things. Look, could you have told me in even 2010, which was just, you know, earlier, you know, 11 years ago, that I'd be where I'm at now? No. I mean, one of the biggest parts of my success... Is all that time it took, all that time that Ben Baller Gumbo was cooking in the pot at low heat, real low heat, just simmering and just braising and stewing up, right, to get to the point to where I signed with XL Sports Management and was the first non-pro athlete to, or non-athlete period to sign with the sports agency and them getting me multi-million dollar deals.
1: Ben, bring me back for one second when you were just hitting the jewelry game, and obviously you started to trademark your name and you build out the entity. Do you remember your first big sale?
2: It's funny, man. My buddy was dating uh, Mariah Carey, and they were serious, and um, we were cool. Like we were we were cool, cool enough to I could say I could ask like improper questions to dude, and I said, "Yo." <laughs> I don't get really. The funny thing is, we've been together a thousand times. I didn't really get to really like. I mean, you know, she's an enormous star. It wasn't like she was around us all the time. You know, she's like. So like when he was able to be, you know, when she let him go outside, you know, I was like, bro, I don't mean to be this way to you, dog, but you gotta let me do a piece for her, bro, because I need, I need that. And he goes, and and he he was one of the few people I was like, it's done, consider it done. And then she ended up wearing like in a Bone Thugs and Harmony video that she did, boom, and I don't think she probably was like, oh, this is cute, I threw it out, you know, whatever. It was like 40 grand. But um, <laughs> that was like, you know, that was – but, you know, like, at the time when that happened, like, I didn't think I made it at that point. And this was like 05, 06, 05, 06. Like, in 2008, when I got introduced to Michael Jackson, my, my life had changed forever. You know? Take me
1: there. Tell me about it.
2: Oh, man. Michael Jackson's agent, his manager, this dude named Tome Tome, gangster. Like, I can tell. I was like, yo, bro, this dude's the dudes that Liam Neeson is fighting and taking. Like, this is the dude who killed people. Like, <laughs> like, this dude is, I already knew he killed a thousand people. Like, this guy was scary. So we meet in this little coffee shop in Brentwood, Brentwood, California. I could not believe how openly public this place was. So Michael Jackson pulls up to
1: this random coffee shop that you're sitting in, open public space.
2: In a very nice neighborhood, though. This is a very, 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 very okay. upscale neighborhood. But still,
1: this is, this is Michael Jackson we're talking about.
2: Trust me. I've dealt with the biggest celebrities in the world. Nothing will ever touch this, ever. I've been on tour with Drake. Come on. We sit down. We're not that far apart. This is probably maybe a six-person circular table, maybe five. I start asking questions. He doesn't talk to me. He talks to Tomei, his agent. His agent <laughs> talks to me. It gets it gets even better. So I'm like, "What?" I was like, w- what? "Okay." And I'm just dealing with it because I'm the biggest Michael. Like, dude, I had the jacket. You know what I'm saying? Thriller. Come yes. on, bro. Like, are you kidding me? Especially at my age, glove, you had it all. Like I idolized this dude. Right. I end up making some pieces for him. He feels comfortable enough for me to go to his house. Go to his house and we're chilling in the crib, and we're having a conversation. Could you imagine right now, I'm telling you a story, Jay, I'm talking to you, we're here, and all of a sudden I just leave. He left the room, I'm sitting on the couch waiting for him, 45 minutes goes by, and I'm like, you know what, man? I know he's a little bit off, man, but like, I need to figure this out. The house was so goddamn big, I didn't even know where the front door was, okay? So I'm trying to figure out whatever, boom. I find his chef. His chef's like, oh, shit, you scared me. He's like, who are you? i oh, like, I'm Ben Baller. I'm a jeweler. I'm making uh, MJ jewelry. And he goes, MJ's here? And I was like, I was about to ask you, do you know where he is? He goes, I haven't seen MJ in two weeks. What? And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And he goes, yeah, man. You know, I, was like, I just make food here and there and stuff. And I was like, um, all right, so you don't know if he's here? He's like, I don't think anybody's here. So he later checks on the cameras and everything confirms, you know, nobody's here. The car's gone. And I was like, yeah, this fool just like, like in the middle of a conversation, like just left and left for like, for good.
1: (laughs) After the break, Ben reaches his limits. He refuses to accept his father's abuse. And he tells Kanye West that actually, no, he doesn't have time for Kanye's concert because he's too busy being the dad he never had. This is The Limits from NPR. I'm Jay Williams.
3: Support for NPR and the following message come from the Wallace Foundation, working to develop and share practices that can improve learning and enrichment for young people and the vitality of the arts for everyone. Ideas and information at wallacefoundation.org.
0: This message comes from NPR's sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. TeleDoc Health understands whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight. TeleDoc Health can help. Visit TeleDocHealth.com/slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T E L A D O C Health/slash What's Your Why.
2: What does it mean to be black in America? And NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. I'll kill somebody. That's why they call me the Korean Liam Neeson. I, I will... <laughs>
1: I thought you were the Korean John Cusack. What happened to Liam Neeson now? you see it?
2: It says the the Korean Liam Neeson in neon lights.
1: (laughs) The Korean Liam Neeson, a.k.a. Ben Baller. We were talking about something very dear to us both, fatherhood. And Ben joked that he would indeed become the dad in that movie Taken. You know, the one where Liam Neeson's daughter gets kidnapped and he stops at nothing to save her life. It's interesting to me, though, because that's not how Ben's own dad treated him. We're going to talk about abuse for a few minutes. So if it's tough for you to hear, please skip ahead about four minutes. But I wanted to know how Ben went from an abusive relationship with his father to being the kind of dad that would give up everything for his own kids.
2: It's not an easy thing to talk about. In fact, you know, um, coming from a dad who was born in Pyongyang, you know, now it's North Korea, but it wasn't North Korea back then. And You think about my mom, the way she was, she came up, and how that was, and how strict the household is. You know, typically, honestly, there's a stereotype that's true. Academics is extremely important. Like you could be, you could have three eyeballs, you could be the ugliest person in the world. If you got straight A's, if you were good in school, you, you know, you were looked at. If you were a scholar, you were looked at. You know, and I think that was beaten so down, so hard in my brother and my sister's life. My sister and brother went to boarding schools with the Kennedys and all these other people on scholarship. Me, you know, I got arrested three times before I turned a teenager. I was going in NIG. I was in trouble a lot, right? So, But I did have good grades, and I I did, like, I wasn't good while hunting, but I understood the work. And the reason why grades and things were bad for me was because my conduct was bad. I was always a class clown. I was listening to hip-hop. I was like, whatever. There was no Asian-American that I grew up with. First of all, I didn't grow up with Asian-Americans, really, but there was no other Asians that I knew when I go to church or something that were into the things that I were into. So my dad, being a professor at UCLA, you know, my dad was big on these things because my brother, he scored a 1580 on his SAT at 14 years of age. He missed one question.
1: Wait, I'm sorry, Ben. A 1580 at 14 years old?
2: Yeah, he missed one question. And my dad put him in the hospital because he didn't get a perfect score. So my dad beat him to to near death.
1: Wait, 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 wait. Rewind me back here. Yeah. Your brother at 14 scored a 1580. Yeah. And I don't know if you're being sarcastic or if you're being real with me. Your dad put him in the hospital? Like, the-
2: my dad beat the ab- absolute living shit out of him. That was the type of household we grew up in. Wow. Bro, you got to remember, man, for me to get a, a scholarship playing football, all I needed was an 800. So I went in there cold. I'll never forget. I went in there, it was like seven in the morning, took my first SAT score, uh, like junior year, really late. I shouldn't have took it that late. And I got a 1060, right? Which, which wasn't bad. Yeah, it's a good score. My, my dad was like, man, you are an absolute f***ing disgrace to this family. You are literally, like, you are dog sh-. So, you know, education was a big deal. And when it started getting into college, you know, thank God for sports. Because if it wasn't for sports, I wouldn't have gotten to school. But
1: wait, Ben, I, I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah, go ahead. But I just want to bring you back for one second. Because it seems like... And this will be very challenging for any young individual to do, especially while they're in their formative stages of their life. When you're looking to say, hey, dad, see me. I want to be seen, right? But at the same time, I feel like at a young age, you were strong enough to say, but this isn't me. Like, how did did you balance that in a relationship, looking for that affection from your dad or your mom and trying to find that through sports or other things to solidify
2: yourself? So here we go. 16 years of age. I'm at school, varsity football, varsity basketball. I'm crushing it. I'm all city. I'm all state. So I tell my dad, you know, this is what I want to do. So my dad whoops my ass. It's not a, not a joke. And um,
1: You mean physical, like you guys physically fight?
2: Physically. I'm, I'm like, come on. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not grown, but I'm, I'm too big to get hit at this point, right? So I stand up to my dad. I say, listen, pop, this is what I want to do like I want to play ball and he's like you're not going to play ball I was like Pop this is going to get me into school and so I said what I said I got kicked out of school he whooped my ass even 10 times harder and I tried to stand up for him and at that point my father in so many words said I can't I just can't deal with you anymore sort of disowned me you know by the way just to mention this I don't know if, but my dad and mom never went to one high school game never one college game not ever once wow and I'm not trying to be sorry. It is what it is. You know, it's just,
1: it's just crazy to me, Ben, where you started with a father who was disappointed in you and taking it out on you. And look how far you've came. So I have to ask, where are you now in life, my man?
2: So where I am now, my boy, pump, um, he's very big in the Bitcoin space. Huge. Anthony Pompiliano. He said something that tripped me out on, uh, I don't know if he was talking to Gary Vee, he was talking to somebody, but he said when he grew up, when he was growing up, he used to look up to people who had money and he idolized people with money. I was like, yeah, me too. And he said, now he idolizes people. He looks up to people who have time. And wow. now I think about like, whoa, that hit me a lot different because, you know, when I think about my friends who had kids at 32 or 33 or 34 or whatever, you know, I, in a way I'm jealous because like, you know, I have my first kid at 39, right? I have my daughter at 44. It's like, there's certain things that, that, that I want, you know, um, from, uh, you know, I didn't take care of my body as well as I should have, right? I should have ate better and during certain things. So, look, legacy is a big thing for me. You know, I'm so busy. Even in the pandemic this year, I did like, I think 80 flights. 2019, the year before the pandemic, I did 128 flights. You know, I jump back and forth from here in San Francisco. I own four businesses. I have 117 employees. I got three kids, which are very demanding. And I have, you know, a wife. And I'm very active in, you know, our family's lives. And I think I'm just like, I went out enough for the rest of my life. I've seen everyone I need to see. I just enjoy kind of staying home. I, I like going to a hotel and looking at the view and ordering room service. You know, I just like being around my family. So, you know, the goal is to Make sure that everyone is good. You know, I ran into some old friends a week ago, and uh, they had made their big money before I had, and they messed me up. They moved out of the Beverly Hills gated community and moved into a smaller chill area, and I was like, why? You sold 70 million records. I'm like, well, I'm not making music anymore, and I haven't made music in a while. And I'm like, okay, so what? And he goes, Ben, there's still property tax. There's still tuition. There's still this. And I was like, damn. You know, I didn't really think about that. You know, he just didn't want to have to worry about it later. And some people are like, oh, that's, that's punk stuff. You should keep going. At a certain point, though, you know, like you keep going till you die, when are you going to enjoy your life? You know, I want to enjoy life with my kids. I want to have fun. I don't want to kill myself from working because we eat good. We're good. But, uh, you know, the goal is to be with my kids in a way that my mom and dad never were with me no disrespect to my mom because I love my mom to death but I'm saying like I'm very present in their life and it means everything to me when everything is wrong in the world I have my little daughter in the bed with me which is going to sleep or my son I'll watch my kids sleep for an hour and just stare at them and everything else is okay after that
1: I gotta tell you Ben though you know I
2: recently started to see a therapist because
1: I think I spent a lot of time when I first got hurt working on me and then I lost myself into my job in my jobs, right, in order to kind of replenish what I felt like I lost as a player. And it's something my wife and I talk about all the time. And my therapist says something to me that really struck me the other day, and you just kind of reconfirmed that. She said, you know, Jay, when you start putting your time into the things that are most precious and most valuable to you, then you will truly get rewarded. And um, hearing her say that and then looking at my daughter And I know there are a lot of times when I'm sometimes maybe not present because my brain is spinning or an idea happens and I'm thinking about how I can execute the idea or, hey, I have a connection. Here's the right opportunity for that connection. And I already have stock in this. Maybe I can monetize that connection. I've just missed 30 minutes of my daughter's life, right, where she's talking right to me. So... I think I appreciate you being vulnerable about that because a lot of people struggle through that, man. And all these things that you've been able to accomplish at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, we'll be able to leave something materialistic for them, but what we've given to them spiritually and mentally, that's... um...
2: as priceless. Look, look, I've had a lot of death in my life. I've had a lot of people that have passed. Unfortunately, you know, there's been... uh, My two best friends in my adult life have happened now. Crazy part where I didn't even think about this until I thought about what you just said right now. Since 1992, I've been a big motorcycle guy. I was in a bike gang. I was in a back, black bike bike, bike bike club, riding bikes here and there. 2005, right on La Cienega in front of Laurie's right down the street from my store at Beverly Center, I flipped my motorcycle 18 mm-hmm. times, ended up at Cedar sinai boom, here and there. And I still rode like a son of a bitch. I, I rode in the rain. I was a hooligan, right? Because I hated myself. I was like, "Yo, man, take me out." Like, I didn't hate myself, but you know, I, who would ever do that, right? Like, wow well, I get it. I get it. And when I had my first kid, my wife said, "You got to get rid of the bike." I was like, "I can't." No, a baby was born. That bike was gone. Like, I just knew. I was like, "Look, I want to be here forever. I want to. I want to live to be a hundred if I can. You know, I want to be around them." And sometimes, like, for instance, the other, okay, Thursday night, this concert with Drake and Kanye. And Kanye's like, yo, are you coming? I'm going to put you on this thing, blah, blah. And I thought about it. I was like, look, let me do a donation for the Larry Hoover thing, but I'm not going to make it. Like, you ain't going to make it. You know what's going to happen. But I was like, bro, I know your kids are going there and blah, blah, and I'm not here to tell you how to raise your kids. My kids are chilling. They're going to be at sleep. They have a schedule, you know, this and that, whatever. Yeah. My daughter just learned how to do, play puzzles and stuff. And I was like, look that conscious cool but it can't mess with this puzzle with me and my daughter and that's just raw man that's what made me happy you know
1: man we are the words we speak to ourselves my brother and it seems like you're speaking some pretty powerful words to yourself on a constant basis and uh, I appreciate you sharing that with all the people listening to us today and I appreciate you man I appreciate you taking the time Ben
2: thank you for having me on the
1: show man so a big shout out to my boy Ben and his whole team for making this thing go down we'll be back next week stay tuned The Limits is produced by Karen Kenny, Mano Sundarason, Lena Sanzgiri, Barton Gerwood, and Yolanda Sanguini. Music by Rum Team Eric Louie. Our executive producer is Anya Grumman. Special thanks to Charlotte Rigby.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Allianz Travel Insurance. With benefits kicking in as close as 100 miles from home, you can protect your travel plans whether you're driving across state lines or flying cross-country. Learn more at AllianzTravelInsurance.com.
3: Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash NPR. It's a
2: high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign
1: trail so you understand why it matters to you.